Psalm 73, Psalm 73, we're taking a little break to Ephesians. One of the reasons why is because it's talking about the husbands and we need a break from that. <laughs> and the other one's Labor Day weekend and we can look through this and study a psalm. Interesting that there were three men waiting to cross a river that was raging. And the first one prays to God and says, God, make me strong. And poof, all of a sudden the man had muscles and jumps into that water and starts swimming across the, and almost drowns twice. And, and uh, so the other one sees that and says, all right, Lord, make me strong and give me tools. So the guy, all of a sudden, poof, he's got muscles and he's got a boat. And he's going on the boat across the river and and then uh, he almost capsizes twice. So the third one sees that and says, Lord, give me muscles, give me tools, and give me intelligence. All of a sudden, poof, he was an Air Force cadet. And uh, <laughs> pulls out a map, looks a mile through a bridge, goes and crosses the bridge, and everything was fine. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to turn him into a woman. I know. <laughs> that was in the original notes. <laughs> but since it's Air Force weekend, I changed it. <laughs> I'm saving that one for Mother's Day. Okay, what is perspective? You know, interesting enough with our perspective, how easily it changes in life. Um, our emotions get in the way of our perspective. Uh, literally, if I don't know if you ever studied the word out perspective, it means to look through something, to see something clearly. And, and really, we, we lose that. We get excited about things and we under, underestimate risks when we get excited. Our perspective changes when you're really excited about something. We go for things that we wouldn't go for if we weren't excited about it. And all of a sudden, we take chances when we're anxious. That gets in the way of our perspective. We decide not to do anything. Because we just don't know what's going to happen and we're all worried about everything that's going to happen and this variant's coming and we're all dead in a week and you know, and everything and all of a sudden our perspective changes. And then anger changes our perspective. When we get mad, we see things differently, don't we? Reminds me of the guy that got on a plane and the guy next to him stunk. I mean, he smelled. And the whole flight, he's mad that he had to sit next to this stinky guy. Why in the world, of all the seats in the plane, do I get this guy next to me who just smells? I mean, he stinks. And he gets off the plane and he's burning up. He's fuming that he had to fly with this guy. And, and he goes to call for a taxi. Taxi! And uh, the taxi stops and he puts his hand in his pocket and he feels a bag. And he remembers... In the morning, he walked his dog and he put it in his pocket. And here he was mad at the next guy and it was him who stunk the whole time. We get mad and it changes our perspective. And we don't think clearly. 
And we make decisions. And let me just tell you, this is a wonderful psalm on perspective as we're going to look here. Because when we start losing perspective, watch what happens to our lives as we're going to walk through this. He, we fail to connect biblical truth to our present reality. Look at how he starts to psalm off. I mean, he's got great theology, this psalmist. He says, surely God is good to Israel. And, and, and the Hebrew word surely literally means this is certain, this is true. My theology tells me that we have a good God. Amen? I mean, do you believe that? I mean, we say it all the time to each other. God is good. All the time. All the time. God, I don't know where, who made that all up. But anyway, we know that God is good. And we repeat that. And our theology tells us that. And we look at the Bible and we see a good God. We see a really good God. We see, we see God working in Israel in spite of Israel. We see God preserving them and guiding them in a pillar of, of fire and a cloud and, and how God guides them and how they turn, but God gives them a king and then God gives them judge. God, God loves them and he's good to them. And he says, I know in my theology God is good, especially to those who are what? Pure in heart. The ones who are truly committed to God. The ones that have the single desire to please God. We know that God blesses those kinds of people. We see it all the time. But, as for me, that's just not reality. I mean, the Bible says that God is good. But look at my life. I don't see it. I mean, my reality is way different, he's saying here. He's saying there's a disconnect somewhere. I mean, I know the truth of the Bible, but I'm looking at my present reality and things are just not what I think they should be. Imagine those right now in Afghanistan, the ones in the churches that are going through this right now. They see in their Bibles that God is good, but then they look around and see their world falling apart. Something's missing. There's a disconnect there. And his feet are about to slip. He's, he, he's looking at this disconnect. He's losing his perspective on the fact that God is good because he's looking at his own life and the two don't add up. We've all been there. And, and here's what happens, why we do that. Look at verse 3. We think the grass is greener on the other side. Notice what he says here. Here's why my theology is not matching up with my life. Because I'm envious of the arrogant. Now, being envy doesn't mean that you don't think other people deserve things. Being envious means that you think that you do. You deserve their life. You deserve what they have. You want to be in the life of someone else. And notice verse 3, it says, As I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I love that word prosperity because it's shalom in the Greek. I see how they have the peace, the well-being. I see how they're all okay. We're going to notice here in, in verses 4 and on how their lives are. Watch how their lives are before we criticize this. Look, I'm envious of the arrogant, I, the prosperity of the wicked. I see that they don't have any problems. Notice this in verse 4. Let's look through this. They have no struggles in life. For there are no pains in their death. No pains in their death. Death doesn't come suddenly upon them like COVID hits them and they're dead in a week. No, there's no pains in their death. And I love this second part. And their body is what? I can relate to that. <laughs> Amen. 
I tell people I'm not heavy, I'm just easily seen. <laughs> that work? <laughs> I, I, I like you like that one, huh? I got that from Garfield, the theologian. But anyway, <laughs> tell you where I spend my devotions. But what it's saying here is they're living healthy lives. They have healthy lives and death doesn't just come upon them. They live long lives. I mean long ones. I was looking at the lady that lived the longest life on, on the earth. Well, not at the Bible, but on the, on the earth here. 122 years. Listen to her secret. She would eat a meal. You ready for this? And smoke a cigar or a cigarette. Right after the meal. Only one. She didn't like cigarettes, so she just did it just after a meal. Little wine and a cigarette. When she was 117, she says, you know what? I need to start quit smoking. <laughs> she quit at 117. No God. No prayer. No nothing. 122 years and died. That's a pretty long life. I don't think I want to go. Well, Chalmers still has only a couple more years to make that, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to go that far. But yet there's no pains. Look at this. They're not in trouble as other men. Verse 5. They're not plagued like mankind. There's no cancer. There's no sicknesses. There's no depression. There's no poverty. There's none of these things in their lives. They're not plagued like other men. He's watching this and he's saying, my feet are slipping because my theology says God is good. But yet here are people who can care less about God living long lives and having everything they want. Something's not adding up. Look at the next thing about these people. They're filled with pride. They start to think, you know what? I can navigate life without God and I can do it well. I've never prayed, but look at all that I have. And, and they think that they, 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 they have, have their lives because of what they have done, not what God has done in their lives. And the garment of violence covers them. They exploit people. As well, they're filled with pride. They have everything they want. Their eyes bulge from fatness and the imaginations of their heart run riot. Listen to this, one of the actresses, her house that she just sold. Listen to what it had. Seven bedrooms, 13 bathrooms. Listen to this, 10 fireplaces, a hundred seat amphitheater. She had her own pool with a beach. And, and to add, and a little bit more, she had a mini golf course. That's a little bit too much for me. All right, I don't need 13 bathrooms. 12 is okay. You know, I'm fine with that. <laughs> 10 fireplaces, I could do it about seven. I'm all right. The mini golf course, I can't get rid of. I have to have that. hundred. I look at all these. They have more than they could ever want. And here's what's amazing about these people. They still want more. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imagination of their heart run riot. They, they just want it. And then they speak arrogantly. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. You know what this is saying? That they speak as if they're a god. They speak as if they have all the ways that you can get ahead in this world. They speak arrogantly and they speak against God. Notice notice what it says here in verse 9. They have set their mouth against what? The heavens. They speak against God and their tongue parades the earth. 
These are people who have a great following. People listen to this. And it's amazing. I was shocked when I saw that California teacher. I got to pick on California for a moment. How she got on her TikTok video and she showed how she took down the American flag because the American flag made her uncomfortable. And she put up a pride flag. And she had the kids in her class pledge allegiance to the pride flag. Somebody wrote, who would, who would let this wacko teach? And they did suspend her. I was shocked that California would do that. I thought they would praise her. They suspended her. But they set their mouths against the heaven, their tongue parades through the earth. Look at verse 10. And therefore his people return to his place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. Here's what he's saying. They have a great following. People listen to people like this. They, they, they have the solutions to the world. They're living long lives. They have all that they need. So they, they parade their tongues. Verse 11. And they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the most high? You see, they make a big mistake here. They take the patience of God and they turn it into saying God doesn't really even care. Yet they don't know that God is being very patient with them. He could destroy them in a moment if he wanted to. But he allows them to live and he allows them to do the things that they're doing and they say God doesn't even know. How does God know? There's no knowledge in the Most High. He lets me live my own life and do what I want. They are carefree and comfortable. Notice this. Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. We've all been there. Somebody says, yeah, I don't want a life like that. Oh, we all. And oftentimes our prayers are praying for lives like this. We just want a life free of problems. We want a life where we don't have to deal with the things of this world. We want a life where life is easy, death is easy, and everything in between is easy. And we pray for people to have those lives. Pray for so-and-so who is struggling and suffering with this. Pray for so-and-so who is this. Pray that their life is easier. Think about that for a moment. We pray that for our own lives. Who wouldn't want a life like this? And then, to top it all off, watch this. As we lose our perspective, we think the grass is greener on the other side. We begin to question our commitment to God. Notice this in verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart, what? Pure. And washed my hands in innocence. Surely in vain. This is for nothing. Why in the world am I trying to live for God? And it's so hard. <clears throat> And he doesn't give me the things that I want. Why am I, why am I battling sin? Wash my hands and innocence talks about the battle against it. Why am I battling sin? Why am I doing these things? Why do I have to? Because look at verse 14. I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Every day is miserable. Every day there's some kind of a problem. Every day I'm dealing with something. Why? 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 When I moved out to Iowa, I'll never forget. One of the worst decisions in my life. But anyway, <laughs> I left New York, the promised land, God's country. My father at the time was dying. He was in the last months of his life. The people were different. 
The food was different. The pizza is disgusting in Iowa. We won't go there. School was hard. Finding a girlfriend was very hard. VJ and Amu wouldn't let me date. They had the His Fellowship. You know what the His Fellowship is? Helping individuals stay single. That was their fellowship. Every girl I met, they said, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, wait for what? Wait for what? Wait, wait. They had Katie in mind. They just didn't know. Praise God. And I remember when my father died, I used to have to fly out with FedEx and go and go see him when he was sick. And, and I remember just throwing a pity party. I said, Lord, I moved out to Iowa to study the Bible, to become a pastor, to preach. I've given you my life. I've done everything that you want for me. And this is how, what you give to me? My father dies. No girl wants to marry. Is this the life that you've given to me? God, I am serving you. Lord, do you understand who I am? Now, maybe you don't say that. But you start throwing that pity party in your life. Lord, I read my Bible today. Why do I have a flat tire? I stopped and prayed. Why is my husband being short with me? Why don't my children just get their act together, God? If not, I'm sending them to the academy. <laughs> Lord, I, I've given you my life. I'm, I'm serving you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything you want. And this is what the doctor says about my health? This doesn't add up, God. I know you're good. But in my life, you're not. And is it really worth living for God? Why is battling sin so hard? Why do I have to deal with all these problems every day of my life? And here's the hard part of it all. Who do you talk to about those things when you have those thoughts? Look at the next verse. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Could you imagine if your pastor got before you and said, you know what, this week I just questioned everything about God, my commitment to God. I don't even know if I should walk with God. Let me just tell you something. As your pastor, I don't even think it's worth it. What do you think my children would think? When Joshua Harris came out and said he was going to have a divorce, people were shocked. I mean, here's a guy that wrote books on how to stay, stay pure and have marriages and all that. When he came out and said he's not a Christian, here's a pastor who preached messages on how to have faith in Christ and evangelistic men, and now he's saying, I'm not a Christian. And then he comes out and says, I support those who are lesbian, bisexual, and he goes down the list. People are shocked. And the psalmist says, boy, if I was to talk about the things that I'm feeling right now, imagine what would happen to the generation, the children, the people under. I can't imagine what he looks. He says in verse 16, when I thought about this, it was troublesome in my sight. Here I am with this dilemma. God is good, but in my life, it's so hard. Every day is a battle. Every day I have to struggle with something. Every day. And then I look around. I see people with $28 million homes and people with no problems and living to 122. Why isn't that me? And we take our eyes off of everything. And it won't change unless something happens in our hearts. Look at verse 17. Everything changes 
when we spend time in God's presence with God's people. Notice what he says here. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. I love that little phrase. It all started to change into his heart. Can you imagine? He's throwing a self-pity party and he's got this and he's thinking about all the things that are bad in his life and how everyone around him who can care less about God is, is prospering and has that shalom, that peace that he wants. And he comes into the sanctuary of God and he hears the songs and he sees the scriptures on the wall and, he's, and, 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 and the mercy seat and all that God is. And he sees these things and he's with people who love God and all of a sudden, ah, his heart gets pricked. He's like, wow, now I start to see things better. Now things in my life are starting to change. Now God has got a hold of my heart, the power of God's word, the power of a song. Ever throw a self-pity party and listen to a song and it gets you out of your pity party or hear a sermon or just be around somebody else, God's people. It just takes your perspective off your problems. He comes in the sanctuary of God and he starts, to, he starts to see things. Look what he sees. I perceived what? Their end. Look at the fruits of a biblical perspective. We start to understand the fate of the wicked. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Look at verse 19. How they're destroyed in a moment. They're utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Death destroys everything that they lived for. It's all gone. Their health, their wealth, all there is is gone in one moment. He says, wow, I understand that while they have good here on this earth, that good is just temporary. He says, I understand that. Look at this in verse 20, like a dream when one awakes. Got any dreamers here? Huh? Like the dream? Let me just tell you something. In my dreams, I am the most handsome. Well, that's reality too. But in my dreams, <laughs> probably not. I am the fastest baseball player, the strongest. But here's the problem with my dreams. It happens to me more than I am up to the plate. The Yankees are down by two. Two people are on. Here comes the pitch. Jeremy, the alarm wakes me up. I don't know if I hit the ball or not. Did I win the game? Just before. Or I'm running from somebody, they're about to get me, and I'm all nervous, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm there, and I'm up. The dream means nothing, it's gone. It's like a dream when one awakes. What happened to that pitch? There was never a pitch. There was never Jeremy playing for the Yankees. There was never that person running after me about to get me. It's all fake. It's a dream. And when one awakes, you realize, oh, it was a dream. Man. And then you get mad. Why'd you set your alarm for so early? <laughs> Couldn't you, Katie, just give me 15 more minutes? I wanted to run around those bases. Why? Why did you do that to me? This is what it says. Their lives are like a dream. When one awakes, it's all over. And everything they lived for 
is nothing. And not only that, look what it says. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. They will be ignored eternally. This is serious. He says, here I am, I come into the sanctuary of God and I'm feeling, I'm feeling sad for myself and pity for myself and I'm thinking about all these things and all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, these people don't have it that good. In fact, in one moment it's all going to end and then they're going to be in trouble eternally. And then he says this, he says, we understand how foolish it is to be jealous. When I, when I thought about this, my heart was embittered and I was pierced within. He says this, I was senseless and ignorant and I was like a beast before you. He says, God, how can I live like that? How can I, how can I even want to be like that? I was like a beast before you, a beast with no understanding, a beast who is senseless, a beast that doesn't listen a beast that tries to run wild without anyone. He goes, I was like a beast before you. How dumb it is to live that life. And then he says this. I realize just how good we have it. Watch this. This is beautiful. Love this psalm. He says, nevertheless, God, I am continually with you. Verse 23. You have taken hold of my right hand. He says, God, I may not have the health I want. I may not have the wealth I want. I may not have the friends I want or the popularity I want. But one thing I do have, I have God and he will never leave me. And see, what happens is our money comes and goes. Amen. It comes and goes and it's going to go coming up here soon with inflation going up. Just keep pumping the gas. It's going up. It's going up. It's going. Health comes and goes. I don't care how healthy we are. That comes and goes. And so we know these things, and what he's saying, there's one thing that never comes and goes is God. He is with us continually, all throughout, every moment of the day, every second of the minute, every minute of the hour, every hour of the day, God is with us. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. And not only that, you take hold of my right hand, you help me in my fears. Reminds me of the guy that was in the electric chair and somebody asked, do you have a last request? He says, yeah, I'm scared. Will you hold my right hand? It's <laughs> a bad one, huh? Matt's got a few he can use now in his church. <laughs> Look at the next thing that God does. God will guide us. With your counsel, you will guide me. I love that. It's emphatic there. You will guide me. God through his word, God through people, through godly counsel. But in this life, God will guide us. I'll never forget, we were in a testimony chapel at Faith one time and a woman lost her husband. He was shot. He got killed in, in the, on the mission field. And she said, God, now what do I do, God? What do I do? I got four young girls. What do I do, God? I'm all alone. And she looked at this verse and it said, you will guide me. And she said, I can trust in God. He will guide me. He will take care of me. And God will guide us. And not only that, look at verse 24. He will receive us to glory. I love this verse. Because we are going to, Stagger here on this earth. We're going to doubt God. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to err. We're going to sin against God. But here's one guarantee. We're going to make it to God. After all it's done, after all the jealousy in our hearts, after all wanting to be like the world, after all living like the world, we still make it. 
Afterwards, he receives us to where? To glory. That's a wonderful verse. And this is what he says here. When I get there, who do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. As he's worshiping God and hearing God's word and around God's people, he realizes, you know what? All the blessings I have on this earth, nothing compares to the blessings we have in God. I thought about this. On earth, I'm a blessed man. I got a wonderful wife. I praise God for her. I got wonderful children. By the way, Johnny and Joshua just won medals in the uh, tennis tournament. Not that I'm proud or anything about that, but I figured I'd just share that with you. I got wonderful children. I praise God. I got wonderful friends. Besides VJ, I got great friends. I got wonderful friends. I got a wonderful church family. I'm thankful. I praise God. I praise God. I'm thankful to God. I got, I got, I got wonderful opportunities to coach young people in two different sports and be in their lives and have fun with them. I got, I, I got a blessed life. I, I look at what all that God has given. I got, I got wonderful things, but then I look at this verse and I say, does any of that compare to God? And he says, who am I in heaven but you? Of course, we're going to have loved ones in heaven and people that we have. But who in heaven compares to you? And what on this earth compares to you? And let me just tell you something. Nothing does. Not a long life. Not a $28 million home. Not all the health that you could ever want. Nothing compares to God. And we don't realize that until we worship him. And as we're worshiping him, we realize, you know, what What am I envious about? I have the greatest thing in the world. I have a relationship with God. I have him. And as we worship him, these things on this earth that we want so much, all of a sudden, don't become so important because we have him. He says, who? I desire nothing on this earth. Watch this. God picks us up when we fall. My flesh and my heart, they may what? May fail. See, my theology tells me I have everything in God, but my life doesn't. My, my flesh goes after things in my heart. My heart fails God. And we've been there all the time, and you know it. And every week of your life and every day of your life, you see it coming in that our, our hearts fail God. We, we say, Lord, nothing I desire on this earth but you. And yet we're living for this, and we're getting frustrated about this, and we're running after this, and all this is about this. And we're like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And we wake up the next day. It's going to be different. I had good devotions. And all of a sudden, it's the same thing. And our hearts fail them. But yet he says in this verse, but God is the strength. Interesting there. The Hebrew, the rock of my heart. God never changes. And God is my portion forever. He will be mine forever and ever, the psalmist says. So he knows that we are frail and he knows that we're going to fail. But he's a God that knows how to strengthen our hearts as we worship him. He says, Lord, my flesh, my heart, they fail. But you're the rock of my heart 
and my portion forever. Amazing as we come into God's presence with God's people, how he strengthens our hearts to live for him all the more. So here's what the psalmist says. He says, for behold, those who are far from you will perish and you have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But look at verse 28. This is it. But as for me, the nearness of God is what? My good. When you start losing perspective, draw near to God and he will help you see things that only he can help you see. And as you draw near to God, look what this verse says. He says, I, I, but as for me, you know what? I'm not going to try to envy them. I'm going to draw near to God. And as I draw near to God, I'm going to trust in God. So the Lord may have taken away my health, but I'm going to trust in God. I may be waking up each day with problems, but I am going to trust in God. I may be battling this sin that comes into my life, but I am going to trust in God. I am going to make him my refuge. And how do we know that? Because look what the last part of the verse says. That I may tell of your works. That I may go around and tell people how wonderful God is and how God has changed my heart, not my circumstances. We're so quick to tell people, God changed my circumstance, praise God. You were praying for this and I'm out of it, praise God. When God says, I want to change your heart. You may go back to that doctor and be worse off. School may be harder than ever. You think school is hard now? You just wait. Isn't that great news? I'm so glad I'm out of school. I remember going to my pastor when I was throwing that pity party in Iowa and I said, I'm done. I'm done studying. I'm done. I don't want to be a pastor. I said, if this life is that hard, even in the study part of it, I'm done with this stuff. If, if God's going to treat me like this and, and do this to me, I'm done, I told him. And he looked at me and he said, Jeremy, you're not done. And he said, if you, if you decide to be done here, you're never going to enter into God's rest. God has a call on your life and you need to follow it. I needed that. I went back. My circumstances didn't change. School was still hard. Alarms were still going off. Sounds like a California alarm. But one thing that did change was my heart. And that's what God wants to do. Draw near to Him. Make Him your trust. And tell other people about His works in your life. You may not be telling them that your health got better, but you're going to tell them that your heart is different. You're going to tell them that you see things differently than you've ever seen them before because God changed your perspective. An optimist sees the glass, what? Half? Full. I don't know what Brian sees. California too, so... The question is, is how is your perspective? And I want you to tell me that after you watch the news for a half hour. And all of a sudden the world's ending. And everything is this and everything is that. And you got this miserable perspective on life. 
Open up your Bibles. Come to church and worship God. Allow God to change your heart. And it's amazing how different things look in this world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at this psalm and we see the psalmist struggling, Lord, we struggle with the same things. We know what our theology says. But then we look at our lives and we say, this doesn't match. And all of a sudden we go down that slippery slope of saying, you know what? I wish I was someone else living a different life because this life is just too hard. Father, I pray when we come to those times in our lives that we just draw closer to you. We open up your word. We listen to the music. We hang out with your people. And we ask you to change our hearts and then help us to realize that no matter what goes on in this life, you're with us always. Help us to remember, Lord, that we have you continue. Not only that, God, that though our heart and our flesh, they fail, you're the strength of our heart. You're our portion forever. So let us cry out like the psalmist says and say to you, who do we have in heaven that can even compare to you? And nothing on this earth matters to us as much as you do. As we sit here right there before God, you before the Lord, in your own heart, how is your perspective? Are you looking at things that are going on around the world and just think everything is falling apart and just wishing for to be in a different life in a different world? Or are you asking God to change your heart, to give you a perspective, to see things as he sees them? Would you do that right now in your heart? Would you say, Lord, I don't want to feel sorry for myself or for what's going on in this world. I want to draw closer to you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to tell others of you. Right there in your heart, you can make that decision before God. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful psalm. So easy to preach and so hard to live. Help us, Lord, to be different because we heard from your word. And we ask you to do a work that only you can do by your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.